Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. We're going to be going after what is one of the greatest obstacles in our lives, really in almost probably every area of our lives, but particularly when it comes to confidently sharing Jesus with others, and that is uh, fear. I mean, you got to think about what, like, one of the things that we've got to live for, or the most important thing that we've got to live for, is what is going to matter most when we stand before Jesus at the end of our lives. And I think fear is the thing that holds us back from that mostly in our lives. But I want to look at a passage that gives a very clear path for us to breaking free from fear. I mean, think about it. We've all got some kind of fear that we've battled in our lives. And this uh, this passage is from Paul's second letter to Timothy. It was um, written at a time that Paul was not really very certain if he was ever going to see Timothy Again, it was most likely written from uh, Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And so he's writing this letter to his son in the faith and wanting to really lay out the truths that are going to help him go the distance after he's gone. So we'll start reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll start in verse 3. We'll put it up on the screens for you. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. As I I remember your tears, he's he's referring to a specific moment. I believe he's talking about this moment. We see it in the book of Acts when he's on the way to Rome. He had appealed to Caesar and he was imprisoned and he wanted to share, share Jesus with uh, Caesar. He's probably thinking, Paul's thinking, man, if if I can be born again, anybody can. And if Caesar can hear the gospel and be saved, what might that open up for the kingdom of God in the world? And so he um, even had though this prophetic word of this, of what would await him. And it wasn't good. And uh, he stops off in Ephesus on the way. And there's this beautiful moment in the book of Acts where the Ephesian elders, of which Timothy was most likely the, the lead elder, the lead, lead pastor of the church there. And there's this moment where they're weeping, crying together, knowing that they're never going to see Paul again. Very powerful moment. That's what Paul's referring here to. Verse five, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We're going to break down those three as really the keys of living a life of fear, or we might call it like a three-chord strand that when when we can live... um, when, when these three things have invaded our lives, we live free from fear. But I want to see the context that he's writing in. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, 
who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I want to talk today about freedom from the fear of man. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here today. We thank you that you've been here, Lord, really opening our hearts to you and softening our hearts. And God, I'm asking that you would, Lord, as we talk through this passage, Father, I'm asking that you would even bring things to the surface and, and that you would begin to set your people free from fears that have gripped our lives. Father, it is not your desire for us to live in fear. Can we just hear that from the Holy Spirit right now? It is not my desire for you to be bound by fear. Lord, we, we hear you. And Lord, we open our lives to you. God, we ask you, God, to set us free. Father, we want to be all that you've called us to be. We want to be bold witnesses. Father, we want to fulfill your calling the destiny that you have for our lives. But Father, we, we, we need you to remove these obstacles of fear, where we have feared what other people would think about us, where we have, we have been, we've been timid, where we have not spoken up where we should have. Father, even where there's been areas of our lives of fears of failure, we've lived under the words that have been spoken over us in the past. Father, would you bring freedom? Set us free. Holy Spirit, have your way today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I um, on Father's Day, I talked about how important our relationship with our natural father is in our lives. You know, when we we come to Christ, or maybe we first begin to hear about God, we start to hear that He's a He's a Father, and when we hear that God is a Father, what do we just think of? Like the, we we have our only frame of reference is is oh my dad. And we, we have this, this first impression or even these subconscious ways of, of relating to God. And um, some of us have had great relationships with uh, our fathers, and that has really set us up to relate to God in a healthy way as a father and to be set free from fear. There's a connection between the degree to which we know the love of the father and our freedom from fear in our lives. Others of us uh, maybe have been hurt in one way or another by a father or someone in authority in our lives, or maybe just someone that had power in our lives. And so that might make it a little bit tougher for us when it comes to uh, battling fear. I've shared before that um, my relationship with my own father was great until I was about 17 years old. And um, my, I still remember where I was. I was sitting in the living room, and my dad, it was late at night. We were sitting in the dark. He was really weird. And uh, I'd gotten home. I'd been out with some friends, and he basically tells me, he says, um, I'm leaving your mom. I don't love her anymore. And 
things are just not working out. And it was, you know, I look back on that and I think I didn't just hear him say, I don't love your mom, because uh, he wasn't just leaving my mom, he was leaving our family, like he was walking out. And what I heard was, I don't love you. Now, he didn't say that, and he wouldn't have been thinking that or feeling that, and he never would have wanted to communicate that. But in my soul, in my spirit, that's what I felt. That's what I heard. And there was something that happened in that moment in my life where this fear began to grip me. I didn't even uh, really recognize it. It was this fear of, of not being loved, of not having significance. And so I be immediately began to look for ways to to suppress that fear. And most people deal with fear by medicating it, trying to suppress it, hide it. Can you relate to that? I know when, I mean, I remember when I was in, um, uh, in, in uni and studying the, in this business degree and we had this effective communication class and it, it was the requirement that everybody had to give a five minute speech in this class. We had to give three five minute speeches. And man, you'd have thought that we were asked to like base jump off of a tall building. I mean, it was like this deep fear in the hearts of everybody in the class. And I had a friend that was, I had one friend that took like six shots before coming in to give his speech. I had another one that was taking Xanax before their speech. I mean, it's like whatever I can do to hide and suppress and just shove down this fear. So I began to do the same thing, begin to, began to medicate my own fear. But something changed and began to shift in me when I got right with God. That there, there was, that when I began to follow Jesus, it was like the Holy Spirit was, was purposefully, intently going after my fear. He began shifting my identity and the view of myself reframing how I saw myself. He put other men in my life who would, who began to father me, who began to, um, you know, help me to learn how to relate to God as a father, uh, this great sense of purpose and calling. The Holy Spirit began putting me in situations where it was just out of my comfort zone. Can I just tell you, that's a, that's a good place to be just out of the comfort zone. That's the, oh, that's the place where we grow. I remember once where um, some people in my church, we were doing this concert of prayer on the university campus. And they asked me if I would pray on a microphone on the university campus. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I can, like, you think it's hard to pray in this room on a microphone? Man, imagine I'm on the uni campus and my, you know, people are walking by and, and I'm, they, they asked me to pray. It was always just out of my comfort zone. Or he would, you know, I would be walking out of, out of a cafe and the Holy Spirit would speak to me and say, I want you to stop and just tell everybody your story of coming to Christ right here, out on the outdoor area here at this cafe. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I literally walked away and then I had to walk back. And I did it real quick and then I ran off. But anyway, just always just out of the comfort zone. The Holy Spirit was, what, what he was going after the fear that was in my life because the calling, the destiny that God had for my life, I could not walk in that. None of us can walk into it when there is fear that is holding us back. This is the same journey he leads all of us on. And this was the journey that God was taking Timothy on. Not unlike most of us, he was a man that likely did not have a really great relationship with his natural father. We can see this in Acts chapter 16. Um, his father was a 
Greek. His father was a Gentile, but his mother, uh, Eunice, was a, uh, a Jew who had become a believer. So Timothy's faith came from his mom. And so he most likely didn't really have a whole lot of, in common with his dad. Don't really know, but it seems that his dad really was not a spiritual leader in his life. And so um, he, before he could follow Paul, he had to uh, be circumcised, which is crazy when you look at Acts chapter 16. I mean, you think about that. If it's, imagine Red Frogs here last week, it's like, we want you to come with us on the university campus, but you got to be circumcised first. I mean, imagine before Timothy could go on this, this journey. But anyway, we know he, that it was all because he had this Greek father. But because of this lack of spiritual fathering in his life prior to really uh, Paul coming into his life, he battled fear. And Paul is, is in, this, uh, in this book, he's, he's trying to help his son in the faith, Timothy, get free from fear. Another place, Paul writes to him and says, you know, have a little, little bit of wine mix, you know, mixed with water for your nervous stomach. You know, he had this, these nerves, this fear thing that was in his life. And so from the outset of this letter, Paul is fathering him and encouraging him to break free from fear. He says, God has given us not a, a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. It was crucial that Timothy be set free from fear because he could not uh, fulfill the calling to proclaim Jesus if he was bound by fear. And so we're going to look at what the antidote to fear is. And Paul mentions these three things, power, love, and self-control. Let's talk about those three things. The first one, power. What are we talking about? We're talking about Holy Spirit-inspired boldness. We're all aware of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the same... Uh, Greek word in Acts that Paul uses in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy here. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. The same word, power. We have that one up there. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. One more. There it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What's the purpose of this power? The primary reason the Holy Spirit comes, he doesn't just come. Holy Spirit encounter was not primarily about having this ecstatic experience. It wasn't about, and we love that, it wasn't about uh, primarily uh, being able to prophesy over our Christian friends. We love that. Praise God for that. It was to be empowered to be a bold witness. This is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. This is what it means to be a Pentecostal church, to be so filled with the Holy Spirit that there is no room for the fear of man in our lives. This isn't just for those who have a particularly strong evangelistic grace. That wasn't Timothy. Timothy is told by Paul to do the work of an evangelist. 
And that's the call for all of us to do the work of an evangelist. Here's another one for you. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Do you realize that to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a fisher of people? There is no way to escape that. Every single one of us are called to be filled with his spirit, to be bold witnesses. When the early church faced difficulty and challenge and persecution, what did they do? They cried out to God for boldness. We see this in Acts 4. I think, do we have that one up there? Look what they pray in this moment. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And look at the end of the passage. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. There was a, a, a Holy Spirit boldness and power that came upon them. And it was significant. It was powerful. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Man, God wants us to have encounters with him that, that fill us with his spirit and drive out fear. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? Fear is driven out. And I love this reference this prayer for boldness because boldness is not so much not being afraid. It's like just having something inside of you that forces you or compels you to act in the face of fear. I mean, every time that God has challenged me to step out and talk to somebody about Christ or just nudge a conversation, there's always that thing that you've got to break through, that, that fear, that, that what if. But boldness isn't enough. He's he says we need power. And next he says we need love. We need this vision of Christ on the cross that compels us to not let the sacrifice that he made be wasted. And so if we're going to be free from fear, we need this revelation of the Father's love for the world revealed in Jesus going to the cross. Paul reminds us even in this passage here that he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. How did he do that? He did it through the cross. There's another passage for you, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's something that happens when we begin to see the significance, the power of what Jesus did on the cross, the significance that, that God would send his son to die for humanity, to be humiliated, to bleed on a cross. Had this crazy thing happen to me recently where I was... Um, We've got a, a friend that, the, the boy's friend that um, we've been reaching out to and his family we've been trying to reach out to and connect with. And we do this kind of ride share thing where they take uh, the kids in the, I think we take them in the morning. I don't know. I, I forget what happens anyway. But she comes and drops Karis off. I know that much. I'm sure Olivia's on top of it. And, uh, and then um, there's, we kind of hang out in the driveway a little bit, you know? 
and sometimes I'll come out, lives in, and uh, his mom will talk, and then I might come out and say good day. Anyway, a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, I came out to say hi, and I had just gotten back from revival conference. You know, we had this powerful time, gotten set free from the fear of man, and 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 uh, just kind of just this this revival I was experiencing in my own heart. And and uh, James had, who was their friend, had this big, um, what do you call the thing on the foot? Um, uh, moon boot. Yeah, big cast kind of moon boot thing. And um, I felt uh, the Holy Spirit say, hey, why don't you pray for James? And I was thinking, well, that'd be a little bit awkward, you know, because of his mom here. And and so I, um, I kind of just had this feeling like I needed to do it. And so you know, I did what every good Christian would do. I'd turn around and walk back inside because <laughs> I was fixing my lunch. I had just come out. I was having a late lunch and just came out. So I go back in and I keep fixing my lunch. And, and um, I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling this weight of conviction. I feel the Holy Spirit saying, hey, what happened in Melbourne? I thought you got free from the fear of man. Why do you care so much about what his mom's going to say? I thought, you, you know, you got free from the fear of man. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm kind of sort of suppressing that voice, but I'm, I'm, I'm praying. I'm saying, God, would you give me more courage so that next time I have the courage to actually step out and pray? And so I'm, I'm, I'm fixing my lunch and I've, I love avocados, right? So I'm cutting through this avocado and I've cut through a thousand avocados in my lifetime. All right. I'm cutting through this avocado and the knife slips and I cut my finger. And as the knife slips, I was praying. I was saying, God, give me courage. The knife slips, I cut my finger and my finger is bleeding. And, and I hear this voice that says, why do you think I bled? And I'm like, are you kidding me, Jesus? You just cut my finger to make a point to me to answer my prayer for courage. And so I, it was, I, I know it sounds crazy, but it was, it was an encounter with Jesus in my kitchen. All right. That's all I can say. So it was this very shallow cut. All right. He was very merciful. I go over and, uh, but it was one of those that kind of bled a lot, you know, it was this weird thing. Anyway, I, I, I wash it, put the bandaid on and I'm like, I, okay, surely she's still out there. So I go out there and maybe part of me is thinking, hoping maybe she had driven away, but I get out there they're still there talking. And uh, I just walk over to her and I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for James foot? She's like, sure, that'll be fine. So I called James over. I just said, Father, thank you so much that you love this family. You love James. And God, I'm asking that as a testimony of your power and your love that you would heal his foot right now in Jesus name. Amen. And it was very simple. It was very natural. And I was thinking, why was I so afraid of that? You know, why is it that we, you know, we, we're so afraid of these awkward moments? And if we'll just step out and trust, then the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, um, we went over to their house for, for dinner not long after, and his foot was much better. I don't know that they were really giving credit to Jesus for that, but um, uh, I was. But... Um, it was interesting the way that, that the Holy Spirit compelled me in that moment. He took me all the, back, all the way back to and remind me of what Jesus did on the cross. Why do you think I bled? 
I mean, when we have this picture, this revelation, this understanding of the extent to which the Father went, if we can see his blood, if we can, can, can know the great price that was paid, man, how would that compel us to just push past any fears of awkwardness, push past any fear of man, to step out, to, to, to just share our story, to ask a question, to provoke a conversation? One of the things that's happened in my life recently is I've been kind of experiencing this new revival of his presence in my life and this new, this return to Jesus's first love, this greater hunger for him is I'm finding that I'm loving more the things that he loves and cares about. I find myself loving lost people, being compelled more to, to pray, cry out to God for those who are far from him. Love. So power, his Holy Spirit power frees us from sin. His love poured out into our hearts, this revelation of the extent to which he's gone to save those who are far from him. And third, self-control. What does this have to do with being set free from fear? What Paul's talking about here, I believe, is a daily decision to live, not or, but for what matters most in eternity. A daily decision. Paul talks about, in this passage, suffering for the gospel. He talks about his own suffering. He talks about the inevitability of suffering. He talks about this holy calling. He he talks about him being appointed as a preacher and a teacher. Self-control is all about dying to the desires of the flesh that cause us to live for the things that are only going to matter in this life. Man, there's things that we live for that are that that tend to only be about temporal pleasure. And Paul is saying, no, 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 I want you to have the self-control to begin to reprioritize in your life and care primarily about what you're going to care about when you stand before me. I love how Paul confesses this in Acts 20. He says, but my life, we can put that one up on the screen. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The translation I've memorized this in is, For I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. There was this sense in Paul that he has a destiny. He has a calling. There was something great, something eternally great that God had called him to do with his life. There was eternal fruitfulness. Paul was living for this day when he was going to stand before Jesus and give an account for his life. And he was always mindful, what, what is going to come with me from my previous life into this life? What, what am I going to be able to bring with me? What's going to be burned up and, and what is going to remain? when I pass through, uh, through from the, this life into the life to come? What am I going to have to lay at Jesus' feet? What, what am I going to have to show as the evidence that the most important person in my life was Jesus? That kind of self-control to wake up every day and choose to live for that day will drive fear out of our lives. This last week, 
I um, had a dream. Actually, no, 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 it wasn't a dream. I woke up in the middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning. I believe the Holy Spirit woke me up because you never have these moments where you wake up and you immediately hear a voice. I woke up and God began immediately speaking to me. And he said this, this very surprising thing to me. He said, and this was exact words, he said, look at Rice Brooks. This is a person that I know from my past, who so I'll explain in a minute. Look at Rice Brooks. He's older than you, and he's still preaching the good news to uni students. You need to be more like him. That was all he said. And I woke up just thinking about this. You need to be more like Rice Brooks. Rice Brooks was, um, he's an evangelist in the States. He wrote this book, God's Not Dead. He's still to this day preaching to uni students on university campuses. And um, he was, actually, he's the reason why we ended up in Australia. He, he was leading the movement that we were part of at the time. And uh, he, he's the one who said, hey, would you pray about moving to Melbourne to reach out to uni students at working with the church that had been planted there. So um, I hear this voice in the, in the middle of the night. And I got up that morning and I just felt compelled. I've got to get on the university campus. I've got to obey this word. You ever have this word and you're like, this, like I've got to obey this immediately. It wasn't like, Hey, this is something to add to your life and just pray and meditate on. You got you to gotta, you gotta obey this immediately. So I, uh, I text my friend, Ben. I said, Ben, do you want to go out on the, uh, on Curtin University today? And uh, I, I think I said, well, let's do a prayer walk, didn't I? He said, let's just, let's just do a prayer walk. So, let's, so we met on, on Curtin Uni campus on Tuesday, and we just started walking around just praying. But I brought a little something with me. I brought this thing called the God test, which is actually something that I, I think that Rice Brooks and his team created to uh, just to strike up conversation. So what we did is I, I just said, um, uh, Ben, hey, let's talk to a few people. Let's just see. Let's see if we can strike up some conversations. So I'm walking around and and the cool thing about the God test, you can just go up to somebody and I just I just said, hey, have you done the God test yet? It's like, yeah, like, well, you know, well, no, I haven't done the God test. Well, cool. Are you, you got a couple of minutes to do the God test. Then no, it won't take long, just be a couple of minutes. So the first guy that we went up to, his name was Luke. And the cool thing about the God test, the first question that you ask is, do you believe in God? And how they answer that question depends on which series of questions you go after that. So if they say, no, I don't believe in God, well, then you continue with side A for the atheist or agnostic. Or if they do say, yeah, I believe in God, then you flip to side B for the believer. And there's a whole new set of questions. Amazing tool. So we start asking these questions. Well, what are the main reasons you don't believe in God? And he would talk a little bit. Oh, cool. So do you find any ultimate purpose or meaning in the universe? And he kind of laughed a little bit. And you kind of see where we're going with these questions. Well, what is the basis of your morality? You know, just as he's talking, and then all of a sudden something comes out. He says, yeah, I just got out of prison. He said, I spent 11 months in prison. Man, and all of a sudden this opened door into his heart. And we had this amazing, beautiful conversation with Luke. Now, Luke was 
not very ripe. Luke, I don't even know if Luke has ever had anybody in the world pray for him, but we've been praying for Luke a lot this week and multiple prayer meetings this week. We've been crying out to God for Luke who said he doesn't believe in God. But we had this amazing conversation provoking all of this thought just simply by asking a couple of questions. And we finished, we said, I said, Luke, is it okay if we pray for you? Ben shared for a couple of minutes from his life. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. So we prayed and just said, Father, you love Luke. I pray that you'd reveal yourself so powerfully to him, begin to speak to him. And we just said, Luke, if you think about it tonight, when you're laying your head down on the pillow to go to sleep, just pray this prayer. Say, God, if you're there, will you show me? Now, I'm just praying. I run back into Luke again. I don't know. But then we kept going. And then we actually we were about to leave. We're like, just felt like, man, we can't leave yet. There's somebody else that we've got to talk to. So we hang out. We're talking a little bit. And, you know, you're kind of sizing people up like, mm, I don't know. That guy looks like he's walking too fast. I don't know if we'll be able to stop him. Or, and, you know, you kind of like, I don't know about that one. And then here comes this, this guy, right? So we stop him. And uh, his name was Tyrell. Said Tyrell, do you do you do you mind if we have you done the God test? I don't know. Do you mind if we just you mind just two minutes? Just take a couple minutes. Oh yeah, sure, no no problem. Do you believe in God? Uh, yeah, I'm open. Come on, now we're talking. Flip to side B. So how would you describe God? So he'd talk a little bit, and I could start to pick up this guy. He's 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 heard the he's heard the gospel before. He knows what's up. What does God expect of us? And he would start talking about you know, living a, a, a life that's pleasing to God, obeying God. And, oh, what do you, you know, when you talk about, you know, what comes to mind, I just started improvising. What comes to mind when you think of sin? Oh, yeah, you know, we start talking about the Ten Commandments. And then, do you believe in heaven? And here's the great one after that. Yeah, yeah, I believe in heaven. Does everyone go? Do you believe you will go to heaven? Why or why not? Oh, man, we had a great conversation. And he was... What we found out was that um, his, uh, his grandparents were Christians. When he was a little young, he went to a church, but there's this seed of something in his heart. He knows the gospel. And what did, what did you say, Ben, after we left? You're like, man, that is like ripe fruit about to just fall off the tree. So I said, Tyrell, do you mind? Would, you, would it be cool if, like, would you be open to catch up for a Bible study sometime? I, was, I said, yeah, we've got one going next week on the campus here. Uh, you know, he's the only one invited, but the only one I know of coming, but we've got one, we got one next week. So <laughs> we got his number. We've been texting a little bit. I text him, asked him what we pray for. He was like, uh, uh, I don't know. What do you normally pray for? That's what he texts me back. <laughs> so anyway, trying to get him to come meet me on Tuesday. Anybody else wants to go, let me know. But I, you know, all of this from this, this urgency the Holy Spirit, you know, it's one thing, you know, what, what, did, what was really the Holy Spirit breaking through in that moment for me? He was breaking through the lie that I've told myself, I'm too old to preach on the uni campus. That's something I used to do, but that's not, I'm too old for that now. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit points to someone who's older than me, who's still faithfully preaching to uni students, trying to reach the next generation, this harvest field of young people in the valley of, the, of decision, trying to work out what they're going to do with their life. Do you know that 95% of people who come to Christ do so before they're 25 years old? After 25, it's one in 1,000. After 35, it's one in 10,000. It gets harder 
Hearts get harder once people get older. And so we've got this window of openness. And I just have, you know, man, the Holy Spirit comes. And, you know, I've had people tell me before, you're not too old to preach to uni students. But, man, when you hear it from Jesus and you feel this compulsion, it was like I, I don't, it was like I have to obey. I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my life. I've got to live for what's going to matter most. And so I, I'm going to push through the fear. I'm going to push through the intimidation. And man, we walk around. There's like some crazy people on the camp. They're trying to, they, 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 you know, they have this, I don't know. They're like, have um, student uh, elections going on. And, and we kept like walking around them because we didn't want to get stopped by them. Cause then we'd have, we'd, you know, cause I would have been like, well, I, I'll do your test if you'll, do my test. But anyway, you know, there, there's, there's this spirit of intimidation that tries to silence us. And we've, we've got to say enough is enough. I refuse to live under that spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and self-control. I just feel the Holy Spirit in this moment wants to take this word and, and, and challenge us to respond. Dan and Rach, can you come back up? I just feel the Holy Spirit wants to, wants, he wants to ask something of us. He wants to draw something out of us. Father, we invite you in this moment to take this word and begin to shift and change things inside of us. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment. Change whatever needs to be changed. Father, forgive us for where we have been paralyzed by a spirit of fear. Father, we repent. We turn from a life of powerlessness. We turn, Father, from a life of not caring about others. We turn, Father, from a life of living for only what matters in this life. Father, would you begin to shift something in us even right now? Let your spirit come even right now. Begin to move in hearts. Begin to, begin to draw out. Father, I, I, I speak against even every fatherless, spirit of fatherlessness. Father, the excuses that have been made. Father, we drive them out of our hearts. Lord, you have called us to be a church who is boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You've called us to be a church full of people who are befriending those who are far from you. Lord, living intentionally because we know that there are people all around us who are going to die and spend eternity apart from you in hell if they do not repent. Father, would you give us that urgency even right now? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, 
died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.